Hello, my good friends. This is Dan Jones, and I am so happy to be sharing this talk with you today, and I pray it's a blessing to your life. Do you worship? I imagine that if you listen to these talks now and then, your answer will be yes. We have worship services, houses of worship, worship styles, and so forth. But could it be that the very way we use this word reveals that we're actually missing the point? What is worship anyway? We often speak of worship as if it were an activity like going to a ball game or watching a movie. Worship is going to church, singing certain songs, saying prayers. Friends, you can do all of these religious activities and more without ever worshiping. I think in John chapter 4, Jesus explained in a very few words what worship is really about. And while these words are fairly well-known among church-going Christians, I'm not sure that many folks really understand. The person Jesus first spoke these words to, the woman at the well, would seem to have been an unlikely candidate for such a deep theological discussion. But Jesus was not put off by the fact that she was a woman or that she had a somewhat spotty reputation. He responded to her honest questions and in the process made a very profound statement that is still so relevant for us today. The woman of Samaria brought up to Jesus the controversy between the Samaritans and the Jews about the proper geographical location for worship in their day. She said, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. The Jews in those days looked down on the Samaritans as half-breeds. So you can, as you can imagine, they didn't go to church together. The Samaritans worshipped on Mount Gerizim, and the Jews, of course, in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. I think the fact that racial animosity influenced their mode of worship shows that they didn't have much of a handle on this subject either. So what was it that Jesus said that was so profound about worship? He said, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, so we must worship him in spirit. What did he mean by that? If God is spirit, it means he's not like us. We can only be in one place at one time. I'm sitting in my living room typing this talk. For that reason, I can't be at the supermarket. I'm here, not there. But this is not true with God. He is not limited by time or space. He is spirit. He is everywhere at once. As Paul told those 
jaded so-called philosophers in Athens, the God who made everything does not live in temples made by human hands. He doesn't need a physical house to stay in. So what does that mean to us? It means that God is just as present on Monday when you go to work as he is on Sunday in the church building. He is just as present when you sit in your home on Thursday night as he is when you sit in the pew at church. So, do you acknowledge his presence in these non-church locations? Are you aware of God at the supermarket, at work, when you lie down at night? Worship is the daily cultivation of a sense of the presence of God in our lives. It is an awareness of God's awesome holiness, and that as the writer to the Hebrews said, it is the realization that none of us can be hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. One of the words used in the Old Testament for worship literally means to bow down. To bow down before someone is to acknowledge their superiority. It is an act of submission. Psalm 95 verse 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. One aspect of submission involves our attitude toward circumstances in our lives that are beyond our control. We can either complain and say, that's not fair, or we can submit to God and allow him to use difficult life situations to mold us into the image of Christ. That is worship. The English word worship is from the same root as the word worthy. We worship God because he is worthy. We don't worship him because he could wipe us out anytime he wanted to, but because of his intrinsic nature. He is worthy because of who he is and who we are, we should bow before him. We should fall on our faces before his fearful holiness. So what did Jesus mean by worshiping in truth? Jesus meant here that our worship must be real. As we said above, quoting from Hebrews, God sees our hearts. We can't fool him. He knows why we do what we do. Do we go to church to be seen by others? Do we do religious things because it makes us feel better about ourselves, because it helps us to suppress our guilt? If so, God knows. He's not deceived. He is seeking those who will worship him for himself because he is worthy, not for what we can get out of the experience. Human beings want to be loved for who they are, not for what they do. My wife wants to think that I love her for herself, not for what she does for me. Calvin Coolidge married at age 33, having been a bachelor, of course, up to that point. When he set up housekeeping with his wife, Grace, he brought to her a mass of socks that needed darning. She said, did you marry me just so I could darn your socks? No, he said, but I find it mighty handy. 
Over the years, he proved to Grace that he loved her for herself. After 25 years, he said, For almost a quarter of a century, she has borne with my infirmities, and I have rejoiced in her graces. Do you rejoice in God's graces? Not just the pleasant ones, but the grace he gives in times of suffering. If you do, you're living a life of worship. I believe a goal we should all have is to reach the point where we rejoice in the Lord in good times and bad, when we never doubt his love, even when we go through hardships. Worship is a way of the heart, not a Sunday activity. Worship is in the spirit, not just on the lips. Someone has defined the fear of the Lord as the constant awareness that God sees every action, hears every word, knows every thought and attitude, and that one day we will give account to him for it all. God is holy. The angels around the throne constantly say back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Sadly, most people are blind to that glory that fills the earth. A true worshiper is not. A true worshiper is aware that the Spirit of God is everywhere, not just in the church building for an hour on Sunday. And a true worshiper is sincere. There is no pretense in the heart of one whose worship pleases God. I urge you to cultivate a life like this. Remind yourself at all times that God is present, that God is holy, and that God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, make these words real to us and make us true worshipers, the kind that God is seeking. In Christ's name, amen. My dear friend, thank you for praying for us, as always. Thank you for praying for the Bread of Life Anglican Church, which I'm trying to lead with God's help, a group of very godly and sincere people. We meet Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock at 1809 Union Street in Schenectady. That's the American Legion Hall, 10 o'clock on Sunday. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to see you. And as always, you can reach me, and I hope you will. You can reach me by email at father.danjones at outlook.com. God bless you.